Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast with your host, Tiffany Martzching. In this series entitled, Take a Knee with Tiffany, we hear from military service members and veterans who share their personal stories about some topics that are quite taboo. These topics span from mental health to addictions, domestic violence, sexual assault, physical assault, and suicide. After these 15 stories are shared, we will hear from a panel of mental health professionals talk about trauma and if untreated, can lead to addictions or suicidal ideations for attempting suicide. They also explain the different types of care available by a mental health professional. Let's join Tiffany now with this week's guest on the Medal of Honor. I'm Christy Hennett, and I joined the military out of Naples, Florida in 2004. Um, I went to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. That's where I did my basic and AIT training. And which branch did you join? The Army. What did you do during the time that you served? Human Resource Specialist. And how much time did you spend in the Army? I was in for eight years, so from 2004 until October of 2012. Well, Christy, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join me. Well, Christy, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to join me today for the podcast. I don't know about you. But I imagine the sentiment is still the same, whether you spent eight years in the military like you did, or 24 like I did, or anything in between, even three or four years. Transitioning out of the military is quite different. It's difficult, and I think it's difficult because you're going into a whole new world. In the military, your life revolves around the military and what what it is you do. I agree. And that transition is definitely something that I struggled with. You know, it was eight years of my life, but a veteran is part of my identity. And I remember struggling. My husband and I had just gotten married when I got out of the military. And I struggled with who I was um, because I didn't know where my place in society was. For eight years of my life, I was that soldier. I was that vet. And then now I am in society and as considered a civilian, and I didn't know where I fit in. Um, I was applying to go to college and um, I just, I was kind of lost. Um, and I struggled for that for several months. And I remember he would say, oh, we got paid. And I would say, no, you got paid. Um, and, and I fought him on, on just simple conversation, you know, and finally, it, it was probably several months where he said, Christy, you know, like, I'm not your enemy here. Like, we're on the same team. Um, because I just felt a little bit jaded. And I felt that I wasn't part of that military community anymore, because he was still in, but I wasn't. Um, and it took me, like I mentioned, several months to find my place and my balance. Because now I went from being in the military, being a soldier, being, you know, a veteran, and I was still a veteran, but I just felt kind of like out of it. Um, I saw him going to work every day, but now where was my place in all of this? And doing eight years is different than doing 20, 24, 30. So he just retired after doing 20 years. And I remember leading up to it, I would tell him, remember my struggle transitioning out. Like I would prep him for it and tell him your transition's coming in out that's going to be a struggle because this is all you've known. 
And for a lot of us, we go into the military straight out of high school. And that's all we know. We go from high school into the military and that's our life. That's what we do. So transitioning is definitely a big struggle for a lot of veterans. Sure. I don't mind talking about it. Um, that's also part of my story. Um, so right out of AIT, um, I checked out of AIT and I was supposed to fly home the next day and I got raped. Um, and, um, by, by a civilian. Um, so it wasn't someone in the military. Um, and I did, all the proper steps that you're supposed to do in society. The cops are called. I did a, that went to the hospital. I did a rape kick. Um, but the bad thing of it all is that I was flying to Germany two weeks later. So the Richland County Sheriff's department, um, I felt that to them, they, they didn't do their job because, um, my personal opinion is that I was an easy case for them in the sense that I was leaving. So they just threw my file in a drawer somewhere. Um, so being an only child, I did fly home the next day. Um, I didn't tell my mom or my grandparents who were the ones that raised me. Um, I did let my recruiter know and I begged him not to say anything and he didn't. He held that secret for me and I struggled. Um, here I am, this 18 year old young girl that my entire world had been just completely shattered and turned upside down. And now I don't know what to do. And two weeks later, I'm shipped to the other side of the world. Um, I got to Germany and in Germany, you are able to start drinking at 16. Um, so what is someone that has had this traumatic experience happen to them start doing? Well, I would get off work at five and I was downtown at five thirty and I would start drinking <clears throat> and I wouldn't roll back and and the you know and through the gates until you know five o'clock the next morning, just in time for PT. And that was my life for roughly a month, a month and a half. Um and I thought I was doing 
fairly well. Um, and I was doing that because if I wasn't sleeping at nighttime, I wasn't having any nightmares. I would sleep during my lunch break, um, which was an hour and a half. And then I would go back to work. I thought I was functioning fine. I was getting my work done. Um, no nightmares, no flashbacks. I got this under control. I wasn't thinking about it. And about a month and a half later, that's when I had my first flashback and my world just came crashing down. Um, and I knew that, all right, we have a problem here. So that's when, you know, back then I didn't know what PTSD was, you know, up until then I was a fairly, you know, air quotes, normal teen girl that never knew what anxiety was, was never depressed, um, had a decent upbringing, um, no, no anything. And then now I'm starting to have nightmares. Now the flashbacks are constant. I'm feeling anxious, but I don't know what any, I don't know what anxiety is. Like, you know, you don't go to school and they explain anxiety to you. So I'm thinking in my head that I'm going crazy. Um, the drinking becomes part of my daily life and I continue this lifestyle for, two, three years. I got raped in 2005 and it wasn't until I got raped in February of 2005 and it wasn't until um, November of 2007 that I heard while I was in Iraq that I have chronic PTSD. And that was because I was in the chow hall and a male soldier accidentally bumped into me and I started yelling at him. Luckily, one of my senior NCOs was with me and he says, I got her. They instantly took me to mental health. And that's when I heard those words. So I never heard, I didn't know what PTSD was. Um, so that's the first time that I heard those words. Um, but this whole time through these years, I had been struggling with it and knowing that there was something wrong with me, but not managing any of these symptoms. So this thing happens in the chow hall. You've noticed some of your behaviors being off and you're drinking a lot. You get sent to mental health for an appointment and you hear that you have chronic PTSD. How did that make you feel? Getting a diagnosis of something that you had not heard of before did you say to yourself, oh, well, that makes sense. Now I know what's wrong with me. Or did you did you blow it off and said, yeah, these quacks, they just make up stuff and pigeonholed me into something? How did you grapple or wrestle with that diagnosis? I knew I was drinking to kind of numb the feelings that I was experiencing. Um, that's why I was drinking. Um, but to finally hear that I had PTSD, it was almost a sense of relief. Um, because then I knew that I wasn't crazy because in my mind, I knew there was something wrong with me, like, but I couldn't pinpoint it. Like I said, I didn't know what anxiety was, but I knew that my chest was tight. I knew that I was all of a sudden, I was always on edge. I couldn't walk 20 feet without looking behind me two to three times. Um, I was constantly getting startled. The nightmares were multiple times a week. Um, so finally someone putting this 
this diagnose diagnosis on it, like this tagline, I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like there is something wrong with me. And it was a sense of relief. Like, okay, like now, now we know what is wrong with me. Now we know this all stems from this, the sexual assault. So you got the di- diagnosis. Is that when you started to get to where you could talk about um, being raped? Absolutely not. No, um, that didn't come for a long time. Um, she suggested that as soon as I got back um, stateside to start seeking out counseling. Um, that was a whole another world when um, I went to six different counselors before I found the right one. And I think that as society, we think, oh, I'm going to start seeking out therapy and one size fits all. And that's a huge misconception because every therapist is not the right therapist for you. Um, I remember when I was at um, Eglin Air Force Base, I remember sitting down with one of one of the counselors that I tried and instantly I'm just being vulnerable for the first time and talking to her about this sexual assault. And she pulls out this book. And back then I didn't know what it was, but it was a DSM-5, which has all the mental illnesses. And as I'm telling her the symptoms that I'm going through, she is just checking them off. And I just felt completely offended because here I am being completely vulnerable and opening up to you. And I felt that she wasn't even listening to me. Um, and I just, I, I got up and started to walk out and she says, no, we're not done. And I said, yeah, I am done. She says, no, 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 we're not done. And I ended up walking out of that office and just ending my session. And I didn't even come back to see her anymore, but I had similar experiences with five other therapists. It just, it didn't click. I didn't feel the empathy. I just didn't feel like we were going forward. There's different types of treatment, you know, like some of them is exposure therapy where they wanted you to, you know, retell and write your trauma over and over. And I was not in that place yet. I didn't want to retell what happened to me. 20 times, you know, because I felt that was just re-victimizing. And I understand that's now that that's a form of therapy, but not explaining that to me when I wasn't in that place in my, you know, healing journey was not helpful to me at all. Um, So at that point, my PTSD just continued to get worse because I wasn't getting the help that I needed. And it was just spiraling. Um, I was having suicidal ideations. Um, I attempted suicide once. Um, I was just in a very, very dark place. Um, I was also, excuse me, married once before. And that was just a very toxic relationship emotionally, verbally. Um, at the time I didn't know that, um, you get sexually assaulted in in a marriage, but because that's how dark of a place I was. Um, but that was also happening in in my marriage, um, and it was just it was just all bad. I was just the darkest possible place that you could be. That's where I was in my life at that time.
So I, as a kid, I always, my mom used to laugh at me because I've always had bucket lists. I've always, you know, my bucket list is a mile long. And anytime I would cross anything off my bucket list, I would add four more. And I'm still the same way. I still have a bucket, that same bucket list till this day. Um, and it just keeps growing. And so death has always um, been my biggest fear. I absolutely love life. I, I really do. And if I could live till 120, I would be ecstatic. I just, I have this zest for life. Um, so knowing that I wasn't finding joy in life in that, that time, that, that moment and space in my life really scared me. Um, and I remember sitting in my on my house at that you know a certain time in my life um one day and literally thinking of a of a planned out thorough out plan to take my life um the one time that i mentioned before it wasn't like really thrilled out i took a couple of pills but i knew that it wasn't enough to follow through with anything um, but this time I sat there and I thought of a thrilled out plan. And to be completely honest, Tiffany, it scared the, the crap out of me. Um, and I knew that I had to self-refer self myself to mental health the next day. Um, and by the grace of God, I finally found a mental health therapist that just completely changed my life around. Um, because at this point I had already seen six different therapists. And I think that if I would have gotten another one that would have been just like the other ones, you know, this, this could have been fatal. Like there's no telling where my life would have led to. Um, mm -hmm. and she definitely changed my life around. Um, I was her number one priority. Um, I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel. She fought for me. She helped me start seeing the positive in every area of my life. Um, and like I said, I just wasn't fighting for my life anymore. It was like I was walking on this healing path with her by my side. Um, and she was like, all I could say, it was through the grace of God that he put her in my life. Um, people don't want to talk about it. And I've noticed that too, by them saying, oh, I have depression or anxiety or PTSD. Um, it's seen as a weakness. Um, and then society too also has portrays all these mental health il illnesses as, oh, well, that person is broken. Or, you know, how many times I've heard, oh, well, if you have PTSD, then you're going to have an outburst or you're crazy or you can't function. Well, guess what? I have PTSD and I function perfectly well in society. I'm a mental health counselor. I help other people, you know, so it's, I strongly believe it's all about educating others and breaking that stigma um, and normalizing it because you can have anxiety, you can have depression, bipolar, PTSD, um, borderline personality disorders, and still be a normal part of society and function. Um, and mental health 
and seeking out mental health services is a very normal part of your life and, you know, your day to day. And I think that we need to do a better job of a better job as a society to normalize those things, just like we do as, hey, our car needs an oil change. You know, why do we get our car an oil change to maintain it? You know, and I think that mental health is kind of the same way. Why do you go see your therapist to maintain my mental wellness? You know, in case I'm having a bad week, a bad month, in case something does happen. Um, and I think that just having a therapist there is good to help you with those highs and those lows in your life and even to celebrate those good things that happen just the same way that we get oil changes with our cars. So I started a nonprofit called Voices Against Sexual Assault um, in September of 2019. And so Voices is actually an acronym. And the more that I shared my story and also started talking to other sexual assault victims, I noticed a similar pattern in their healing process. So we all start off as victims. And that's what the V starts off or stands for. And then the O is we reach out. So, and that could look a little bit different. You could reach out to law enforcement. I could reach out to a family member, a best friend. The I is investing in ourselves. Is that a counselor? Is that eating better? Is that working out? The C is gaining control because that's something that we all lose um, and kind of gets taken away from us in the process of you know, when we become victims, when we gain that control back, we are able to start empowering others. That's where the E comes in. And when we're able to start empowering others, that's when we become survivors. So the more that I have talked to, at this point, it's been hundreds of survivors. Um, and I've heard their journey, their healing journey, it's always kind of been a similar process. And that's how we came up with voices. Um, and we started out started out in North Carolina, and um, so that's our home base. And now we've been we moved down to Florida in May of last year, so twenty one, and we transferred the nonprofit down here. And we have resources. We do um, biweekly support groups, and later on this year, hopefully the fall of this year, we'll be able to have a retreat for um, victims. So they can start if they haven't already their healing process and be going from being a victim to a survivor. And our motto is that there's power in your story. Um, we strongly believe that everyone has a story. It, you don't necessarily have to be a victim of sexual assault. Everyone in this world has a story. And you just got to find the courage within yourself to share your story because your story has the power to impact somebody else and change the, you know, their entire life. How did you know that's the reason why I started a podcast? <laughs> I mean, it's it's very it, well. It's similar. It's very similar to that. Um, the focus is not on um, sexual assault. It's just the focus is on veterans, mm -hmm. with the belief that every veteran and service member has a story to tell. 
Um, and even though they're all different, it's their own story. And it's just, the podcast is just a platform for people to tell that story. So, yeah, kind of similar to what you're saying. So when you said that, I was like, yes. Because <laughs> I, 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 I believe that, too. So, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Man, you're my you're 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 my hero. hero. You're my hero. <laughs> hero, sorry, my bad. <laughs> Man, I can't win for losing with you. I really appreciate you. I do. Thank you. I mean, I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, but I might my opinion might be a little bit jaded because you know <laughs> it just is. <laughs> Man, so. So you're gonna you hopefully you'll be doing a, a retreat later on. Until then, if somebody is listening to this episode and they've experienced whatever level of sexual assault, um, and they haven't spoken to anybody, what is it you would tell them to do? Um, if you've experienced any kind of sexual assault, um, please. One, know that you're not alone. Um, I personally, when I was sexually assaulted, I thought that I was alone. Um, and it does feel like a very um, alone and lonely world. So one, know that you are not alone. Um, I, for one, am here for you. And you can get a hold of me through our website. It is voicesagainstsa.org. Org, um, and through our website, there is a contact information, and I am the only one that has. Even though we have a board, I'm the only one that has access to that contact form. So if you need to contact me, you can reach me through there. Um, so you don't have to go through this alone. We will be your voice until you find your own voice. Um, first of all, there are other resources out there. Um, rain.com is the national, you know, rape organization and they have a hotline that is 24 seven. Um, so just please know that you are not alone. There is support out there. Um, if you want to get involved with our organization, there's ways to do that as well. Um, we could add you to the newsletter. If you want to attend the retreat in the fall, we would love to have you um, as well. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Medal of Honor podcast. I'm Tiffany Marchink, your host. If you check out the notes for this episode, you will find some resources that you can take advantage of if you're contemplating suicide or have experienced a sexual assault. Thank you, and have a nice day. Thank you. Have a nice day.